I think the one thing to think about is all the different types of people who might be coming onto your website. So first of all, there's people in your congregation and then people who are Christians but not. Right. There's also unbelievers who maybe are, are searching to find something. So there's already three types of people who are going to be coming. And then you've got uh, families with little kids, families with teenagers, you've got students, you've got retired people, you've got all sorts of people. So to try and put yourselves in the, in the shoes of all the types of people who you think That's might be really coming helpful, or interesting yeah. Yeah. and make sure that you've got something for all of them because they all have different needs they'll all be diff- looking for different information that's really helpful and Thanks. Facebook you just can't do that hello and welcome to Independence the FIEC podcast my name is Adrian Reynolds I'm head of national ministries here at FIEC and I'm joined by Joel Murray hello Joel hello Adrian. tell us just Joel what do you do at uh, FIEC I, I don't know I do know it's um, I do communications and media so that's mainly websites um, but also a little bit of printed stuff, thinking about videos, thinking about the podcast, and trying to get the, the work that we do, trying to get it out to the good people who lead the churches in the FIC Great. to let them know. Nice to have you with us. And uh, Phil Topham, our executive director, which makes him sound extraordinarily important. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not true. Um, yeah, what does that you. mean, Phil? What does it mean? It means that I do all the high-level administrative work and look after the governance of the charity. But, but I think the reason I'm in this podcast is because I used to do Joel's role uh, before moving into this role. So uh, very, very similar uh, background from that uh, sense. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. And we're talking today about church websites, um, not the sort of the, the detail of how you code and all that kind of stuff, but just the, the top level stuff that we think is really important for churches to grapple with. Uh, websites are important, aren't they, Joel? We can't ignore that in today's world. Why is that? They're incredibly important. So put yourself in the shoes of someone who's moved into your area or someone who has just come to know a bit about Jesus, who, who lives nearby, how are they going to find a church community to join, to learn from, to share with, to get support from? How are they going to do it? They do it online. They, mm. they go onto Google, churches near me, and they get a, a map probably with some little red dots, and they get a list of loads of websites of different churches. And so that's the first the first port of call, really. Whatever it was in the past, mm. that's what it is today. So, so it's quite an interesting exercise, isn't it, to type in the place where you live and mm. churches. Mm, mm. and see whether your church appears on the front page. And (laughs) and make sure you turn off private search results because Google or whoever it might be may well put yours there because you visited your website often. Okay, So turn that off, pretend that you're completely anonymous and then you'll see what happens. So see where you come in the list. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important because in the past, if you moved to a new area, you might take a wander around and look at all the church notice boards Mm. and decide which one you thought would be the best fit for you. But that this that's the modern equivalent now. People Google it, don't they? That's the notice board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's the equivalent of having your big sign outside the church mm. that people might stop and look at and see all that detailed information. Now they see it all on online. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. So I remember in the past um, talking to a church about a really old and dishevelled notice board at the end of their kind of driveway and basically saying, oh, nobody looks at that anymore. But the reality is uh, some people would look at that. And if your website goes gets as dishevelled as that notice board was it's just as damaging i think in terms of people coming along yeah and this is borne out isn't it by the reality of life i mean all of us are in the three of us are in two different churches but we've been in other churches mm. and we know don't we that when the people come people turn up especially christians who have moved into the area they say oh i found you online mm-hmm. or i listened to a sermon online you know, that, you, that sort of narrative is very common and um you, you'll have found that i'm sure listeners have found that in their own mm. in their own churches as and well it, even if it's another way like a recommendation so, oh, I'm coming to Market Harbour, go to Christchurch. Well, people are still going to go online and search Christchurch to yeah, see what, sure. what it's all about anyway. Yeah. So yeah. It's still see where you are, important. what time, mm-hmm. all that kind of yeah, stuff. Absolutely. So, I mean, that starts to beg a question, really, which is what are some of the essential ingredients 
for a church website? What's what's some of the information that you want to be conveying there, Phil? Well, I think you need to be telling people who you are, what you believe, where you meet, um, what, why you do what you do, and some of, some of the activities of the church. I think that's probably a, a bare minimum. Um, most people going onto your website will want to know when your service is and where you are. Those things are absolutely vital. And if they're difficult to find, that can be extraordinarily <laughs> aggravating. So you know yourself, if you use a website that's difficult to navigate... It's just frustrating, isn't it? So yeah. you really want those key things to be front and centre, I would suggest. And and people shouldn't necessarily have to dive down into many sub-levels of your website to find that information. Mm. So, so actually on your front page, your landing page, it's sometimes called, yeah. that's where the really essential stuff needs to be, doesn't it, Joel? Yeah, again, so put yourselves in the shoes. Maybe you're at a, a fair or something, you're introducing your church to a, a stranger or someone on the street. What would you say to them to explain to them what your church is? That's what it needs to be on the homepage because that's very likely where they're going to turn up so straight away they need to know what what they want the kind of lift pitch so in 20 seconds could you explain what your church is and 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 what people need to know try and get that onto the home page now phil one of the things you just listed there in your list of stuff that needs to be on a church website was what you believe Mm, mm. Um, i know you feel strongly about that i do too there's there's nothing more frustrating is it than visiting a church website and there's nothing about what they believe. Why is that important? I just think it's important that people know what they're coming to. Mm. I just think that's vital for our our mission and ministry. We don't want people to be under any illusions. When they come to the church, they they should expect the church to do what it says it's going to do. And a lot of that will be born out of what the church believes. So I think it's important to know what the church believes about God, what the church believes about the Lord Jesus, what the church believes about the Holy Spirit, what the church believes uh, about baptism even, what the church believes uh, about engagement with the community those kind of things because I think if you're going to visit it you should have an idea of, of where the church is coming from and, and we know what's wonderful about the FIC is not, not all churches are the same but all those core doctrinal truths would be the same and they're the key things that we need to get on, onto the kind of what we believe right. part of our website. So a little bit about what to expect and on a Sunday that's really helpful right Joel? Yeah again if you're a visitor it's it's for a Christian, it's quite daunting because it's a new place. Mm. For for an unbeliever, it's, it's a massive, isn't it? Yeah, a it's thousand a massive times. step yeah. to go forward. And if you can help them to 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 know what to expect, to know um, who's going to be there, to what what's going to happen when they first arrive, what's going to kind of happen during the service, mm. what what's expected of them, like what do you wear, all that kind of stuff. I think that's really important. I think you put your there. finger on something there. I think what what do you wear is actually really important. <laughs> I think no, I, I mean that. I think you know, how, how do people dress for church? Um, I think if there's an expectation that you you address in a certain way, then that needs to be made clear. Sure. Um, I, I think that's helpful. So websites need to be honest, yeah, right, Phil. And yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we're just starting to get in here into the question of um, you know things that are unhelpful. Mm. Actually, we, you can on a website portray an unhelpful unrealistic Mm. picture of what church is like can't you so i think one of the dangers when we put websites together is that we rely on stock images a stock image is basically an image that's available for free or for a small fee from perhaps an online agency which gives an idea of what something looks like but but the fact that it's a stock image means it's not an image of your church. Mm. So, for example, it might be a crowd of people. But actually, if it's a crowd of people who've got no engagement with or nothing to do with your church, but you portray this on your church website as being an accurate reflection of the church, that's massively misleading. So it may be aspirational for you. Yeah, yeah. It, it may be yeah. a group of 30-year-olds. It may be a group of 130-year-olds mm. and from all different backgrounds, yeah. all different um, ethnicities and, and so on. But if you're a white, middle-aged congregation yeah it's not particularly helpful is it? it's not honest and i think it'd be much better to have pictures of your church and the people who attend your church that people know what 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 to what to expect and i think that's vital is there is there a challenge with putting 
pictures of people online now, Joel? What's the what's the kind of what's the, yeah, the info on that? There can be. I was asked by the, uh, this question just the other day. Someone wants to take some new photos for their for their congregation. Said, "What do we need to do?" And it's kind of a bit of a grey area, really. But I think just to be more cautious than you think is probably the safest yeah, bet. Yeah. So make sure that you've asked the people well, first of all before you're taking any photos. Maybe in the Sunday service or an email, say we're going to do this just so you're aware and it might mean that some people stay awake but that that's that's fine as long as you can you can address that and then on the day when you're taking photos of people especially close up or even if you're in they're in the background but very noted noticeable and identifiable then to make sure that they know that they've the photo has been taken and they've kind of written down who they are they're kind of signed to say yes i give consent and also to give them an opportunity to then later on maybe they say actually no i don't want my photo to be taken maybe leave them with some contact details and information about where, where it's going to be so they can easily then go and go and do that that's that kind of uh, personal privacy is really important in that but ho- i think most people will be quite happy to especially if you explain why we're doing it yeah. we want to tell the community and tell the people outside the church about who we are mm. please will you help us then that, that's a good the, way to start I think. I mean, there can be some safeguarding implications as well so if you've got um parents with adopted children or foster children that kind of thing you've got to be a little bit careful about always so ask that, yeah absolutely you, ask, yeah. you must get permission <laughs> and you always need permission for pictures of children you need parental consent yep. or guardian consent okay. yeah and always ask actually about stuff that you're sourcing from the internet you've got to be very careful oh hugely careful so you, you can't just pinch things off the internet you can't just pinch photographs you can't just pinch things like poems or extracts from from particular prose or, or books you can get get in all sorts of hot water there and let me say there is there is actually there is software that basically mines websites for want of a better phrase and it will find something if you've used it illegally and you will be you'll be handed a bill for it so for example if you use a uh, an image from say getty images you'll often see getty images um sort of captioned on the bbc website for example if you take a getty image and use it on your church website and you have not paid for that you will end up paying for it yes i've had that bill in in a different life um, which was um completely um it was not deliberate i actually Mm. tried to search for um for uh, copyright free images and mistakenly used a Getty image mm. and they sent me a bill for £300. Which yep. was, oh, yeah, absolutely. And you had to pay it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Did, you yeah. can't get around it. You can't just refuse to pay it. Um, we'll come on perhaps to some uh, websites you can go to where there are free images available. But it's worth just telling this story as a cautionary tale. In a previous role at another place, um, I, I, uh, there was a church who received a bill for I think it was seven and a half thousand pounds from the United States because they had used a poem from a, a US website without permission and quoted it verbatim on their website um, they argued it in court and they got the, the the fee reduced slightly but they still ended up paying several thousand pounds to the uh, the author of the US poem that they'd used without permission you've got to be so careful don't just assume it'll be all right and don't also assume that if you're using a Christian poem by a Christian, that all will be well. Yeah. Um, because in the in the States, Christianity bluntly is big business. Well, anyway, the worker yeah. deserves his wages. Oh, cool, quite. Um, but, sure. um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, but we've just got yeah. to be so careful. I mean, actually, you know, why not use things from within your church anyway? Yeah. You, know, you want to tell the story of a church, don't you, Joel? Yeah, you, don't want to, you don't want to be telling the story of a church in the States. You want to be telling the story mm, of your church. Mm. What's it like here? Yeah, it's a good argument to say do it yourself. So get yeah. your own photos. Maybe there's someone in your congregation who who is a keen photographer who's got a bit of experience. Maybe they work as a photographer. That would be really fantastic. Or maybe it's just a matter of looking at your church budget and saying, we want to reach out. We're going to put some of our budget this year towards getting some decent photos done. Mm. Um, get photos of, of the Sunday school, of the whatever activities you do in the church, outside the church, inside the church, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, if, there, if there's communion, a photo of, of communion, so people know what that's going to look like, rather than trying to take it in, from anywhere else, mm-hmm. do it yourself. There's there's so many benefits towards doing that. It yeah. might cost a little bit of money, but I think it's a good investment to yeah. do so. We've we've actually got in our church, um, we haven't got a huge number of teenagers, but we've got a couple of teenagers studying art, A-levels, graphics, graphic design, photography. You could do them, couldn't Fantastic. you? Fantastic. Could be part yeah. of their project for, mm-hmm. for A-levels and you, stuff like that. You can get free images there. There are, there are websites yeah. that do yes, it. Yes, there are. Yeah. I can't remember enough top um, of my head. Uh-huh. Unsplash.com is the best. There you go. That's the one. Um, so unsplash.com is a really good place to go to. You can also go to flickr.com, um, F-L-I-C-K-R.com. And in the search criteria at the top, you can search for something called Creative mm. Commons. And if a photo is registered as, under Creative Commons, it means it can be used commercially without payment. You have mm. to credit the photographer, but you can use it without payment. So actually yeah. on our website, we use pictures of Market Harbour, the place where we live. And uh, there's a very good local photographer whose photos are all Creative Commons. We use those. And a, a really good tip here, actually, that I was given by um, our digital strategist, Jonathan um, Bennett, who works for us, was that even when you're using someone else's photos and they've given you permission online to use them which in this case they had see if you can get in contact with them and drop them a note it's just polite it's a way of engaging mm. and so actually um we we use photos by um, a woman called holly victoria norval and she actually lives just across the road from one of our elders um and i just put a note through her door and said um, love the photos um i love that you've made them free to use we'll use them on our publicity thought you'd like to know mm. and put a copy of the um that we actually produced a little tract a little copy of the tract yeah. that um, that we'd produce through her through her door. Mm. Unsplash is really interesting. There's a lot of Christian content on there, people with Bibles and things like that. Mm. I think it's from that American. It's big big stuff there. But you do have to be a little bit careful because I've there's a particular photo of a man holding a Bible out and he's kind of blurring. The Bible's in focus, and I've seen that on three or four websites, uh, three or four church websites. So they've obviously thought, oh, this is a great photo. Mm. It's free on Unsplash. I'll use it on our website. But then you can yeah. start, yes. if you use it a lot, you When you start, start searching see. for prayer, you find even less good photos well, to use yeah. on Unsplash. Yeah. Yeah. I like, see the same oh. photos <laughs> coming around. Um, Phil, you, you look at a lot of church websites. You know, we get information from a church. Mm. One of the very first things we do often is just type, you know, type it into yep. a browser, have a look yep. at the website. Uh, what are the things that make you just go, ah, when you, you look at a, a church website landing page? Uh, I think something that looks like it was launched at the beginning of the internet. <laughs> so there was a time when the internet was new and there was all sorts of creative ways of, of using kind of images and text and, and, and boxes. Clip art. And, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. And you just you, you just think, gosh, this was something that was put together in the late 90s and it's never really been updated since then. So I think dated websites um, are, are something that, that makes me a, a little bit cringy. And dated content, right? Oh, Oh, mm. this is what we did in Easter 2013, and, and it's still at the top of the <laughs> website. Well, you, you, you're, you're laughing, but we see yeah. it, and, and I think that just that shows a, a visitor that you're not taking seriously the stuff that you do because you're not updating it, or it shows that you've become really insular and you're only actually caring about the people who come to you week by week but you're not really thinking about visitors so i mean it sounds like you know maintaining a website could be a full-time job almost in a church Joel, is is that is that really how it has to be it, it's not necessarily a full-time job but you do need someone who's going to keep an eye on it so it's definitely something to think about especially if there's someone who's experienced in your church you can do so or if there isn't so there's some there are some uh, companies who you can pay a fee to and they'll kind of help you through so they'll make it easy for you to kind of keep things up to date if you're not particularly experienced and if you you've got a problem they'll be on the end of a phone or an email mm. to help you out right but it, it needs to be kept up to date so i was going to say uh if you've got a blog or a news feed that's really great to show people that you're doing stuff but if you 
haven't posted on it for six months, just yeah. just get rid of it. Because yeah. if you can't do it, be realistic. If you haven't got time to keep something like that up to date, then don't do it. Well, I think that's really helpful because you can have a really helpful website that has static information on it, which is yeah. unchanging, which is service and is time and is necessary and yep. needed. And yep. that is more helpful than having, say, a news or a blog feed of something mm-hmm. that you never update. So you'd be far better basically having a service time, service location, uh, what to expect, here's what we believe, which is static information rather than saying at such a point in the year we so did That's the equivalent of your old church notice board. Absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and that's absolutely vital because if, if that is good and helpful, that will serve you much better than trying to maintain a kind of a blog or a reporting mechanism or a news feed. And there are lots of great, yeah, it, does, it sounds onerous, but there are lots of, um, of websites you can pay a small fee for, which basically almost upkeep themselves so um tell us about christchurch harbour's website well um, just before i get to ours i'll tell you a feature we have in ours which is which most websites allow you to embed a calendar and um, in fact we have a google calendar in the church which anybody well not anybody because we have restricted access to it but but, but multiple people can update Mm. which just has the meetings Mm. as they appear and um on our events page on the on our website it just embeds the Google Calendar yeah, in a nice yeah, format. Yeah, yeah. It does all the formatting for you. And actually, as events go, they drop off the calendar and the next one is top. So, so the top of the list is always the next event in the church's mm-hmm. diary. So actually, we do nothing apart from update the calendar every now and again. Yeah. And it always has the next event coming up. So yeah, that's a pretty easy absolutely. way. So we use something called Faith Life and there are um, other pr- other providers are available. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you can spend a lot of money, can't you, on developing a website and designing a website. We use Faith Life, which is, is basically a front end mm. to help you create a website. And uh, I think we pay $300 a year. It's a US company. We have our own um, URL, which is our um, website address. And um, we... We've got people who are updating that with absolutely no web experience. They're not coders. They're not experts. Um, all you have to be able to do really is type and, and click with a mouse. And uh, we keep it quite simple. It has sermons on it. It has static information about the church. has a landing page. We, we have information about the next service on the front page. We have a little evangelistic message at the top um, of the front page that's updated every half term, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very simple to use. And there are lots of things like that. You don't need to go out, I don't think, and spend ten thousand mm-hmm. pounds on a church website. No. There are there are companies, yeah. um, and especially I think this is we, we've benefited from the U.S. market because there's such volume in the states. There are companies out there who are providing low cost website interfaces, effectively, to help you build yeah. a website yeah. with with very minimal mm. expertise. I guess you could use. Facebook as well, couldn't you, Joel? Just as, uh, you, you could. Oh, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it necessarily. Why not? Um, I mean, Facebook is a, is a particular. It's, it's a media, so it's it's a way to send a message out there, and you do have information there about where you are and all that kind of stuff. But a website gives you so much more opportunity to tell tell your story, tell what you're mm, about, mm. to enable people to find what the exact exactly they need. Whereas Facebook really is a feed of of messages that go out and they're they're timely but they go out of date um of a website is it just gives you more opportunity to get to tell people the stuff that they need to know that's interesting so you would say a website over and above an up-to-date facebook page i I would say that yes but it doesn't need to be 20 pages of website does it it could be one it could be one one. page yeah i think the main the main better one well done page presumably agreed than 20 out-of-date pages sure yeah 
I think the one thing to think about is all the different types of people who might be coming onto your website. So first of all, there's people in your congregation and then people who are Christians but not. Right. There's also unbelievers who maybe are, are searching to find something. So there's already three types of people who are going to be coming. And then you've got uh, families with little kids, families with teenagers, you've mm-hmm. got students, you've got retired people, you've got all sorts of people. So to try and put yourselves in the, in the shoes of all the types of people who you think That's might be really coming helpful, or interesting yeah. Yeah. and make sure that you've got something for all of them because they all have different needs. They'll all be different, looking for different information. That's really helpful. And with Facebook, you just can't do that. And you no. could ask people in the church, couldn't you, Phil? You know, what do you think of our website? Yeah, absolutely. Different Get, kinds of people. Absolutely. And you'll be amazed here, first of all, how few of your congregation visit your own website. Okay, so, so say a bit more about Well, that. so I, I, just, I just think we have, this, um, we have this theory as church leaders that build it and they will come. And actually, if you did a straw poll on a Sunday morning of how many people have used your website during the week, you'll probably find the, lo- the number is far lower than you would want it well, to be. Well, they know where you meet, right? They, well, exactly. know who, they know who the leaders are. They know what you believe. So, so, so at one level, you could ask the question, should they be expected to visit it? Which is a good yeah, question yeah. to ask. Mm. But that comes back to Joel's point about who's the website for. And if you're building something as a resource for your church members to use, then that's a slightly different thing than if you're using it as a, a tool for people to find you and to know that, to know that you're right. there. So I think, um, yeah, this expectation that everybody will visit your website if you put it together is not necessarily borne out in reality. It, people are more likely to go for a specific reason so bluntly the only reason i go to the christchurch website is if i need to catch up on a sermon because i was away okay that's fine i'm not offended no 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 i don't think you should be but <laughs> but it's just to be realistic about it i think yeah well, uh, joe i didn't i didn't ask you the question i wanted to which was the same question i asked phil you, you look at a lot of websites yeah. what makes you kind of cry out in desperation when you see a church website one thing the other day was um particular websites that might have an acronym in it to not explain what the acronym stands for, that really frustrates me. Or to explain explain what, what the church name is or who, who, they, re- who they really are. Um, if you turn up to a, web, a website and the, and the person who's made the website has assumed they know about you, then that then there's missing information and you have to really like mm. dig, dig dig down. And majority of people aren't going to bother. So I think that a best a good way is to assume that people know nothing about you and they're completely new to the website, and then you're going to be able to cover all bases. So if you've got a strange church name, mm. and this isn't by the way a question, this isn't a podcast episode about church <laughs> names. That might be a different one, and um, there are arguments for or against. But if you've got an odd church name, mm-hmm. you've got to explain that, haven't you? Yeah, people yeah. need people need to know, and they might they might see it in the street and think, "What's that church about?" And they'll search online, and then they don't they still don't know because <laughs> right. you haven't told okay. them. And that's a great opportunity to tell them. So Joel Murray Memorial Baptist Church, yeah, JMM, the, yeah, needs, needs a bit of explanation it, at the it top. Certainly would do yeah. for many <laughs> reasons. <laughs> for many reasons, yeah. yeah, for many reasons. I think one of the things that frustrates me about websites is where they're not device agnostic. I need to explain mm. what that means. Mm-hmm. So um, often websites, especially older websites, were um, designed on on widescreen computers or on on computer screens and then they look great on the computer screen but actually most people don't access the internet just through a computer Mm. they access it through a phone right most most people don't use it through an internet through a computer they use a phone yeah Yeah. so actually if you've got a if you've got a um a website that looks great when let's let's just get um imperial measurements for a moment let's say you've got a a website which looks great when it's 12 inches across Mm. um on your computer screen um if your phone just squeezes it in so it's exactly the same content um, you're not going to be able to read a thing yeah. and that just drives me wild mm, yeah. now again most modern website um, interfaces and providers will automatically make yeah, your yeah. website device agnostic mm, mm, and yeah. um, so that's one of the things that really really frustrates mm. me yeah, I was just going to say that's a really important point I think that all these interfaces you can pay for will have done that work for you yeah. whereas you have to factor that in if you decide to build something mm. from, from the, the ground up yeah. where do you get good ideas from guys 
we're, we're, we're to, you know, so I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm thinking, yeah, we need to do a bit of work on our, our website, but perhaps encouraged to think it doesn't need a developer, doesn't need a software engineer. It's something we can do ourselves. Where do I get good ideas from for, for who might do it, A, and B, what it might look like? I'd start by going to other churches' websites because okay. then you'll soon get an idea of what you think works and what you think doesn't work. Uh, and bluntly, you'll be able to look at some websites and think, I don't want to do it like that, but I think we could do it like this yeah. because it doesn't work particularly for, for, for you as a user. Um, so I think that's a good place to start and just, just start looking around other what other churches are doing. Okay. Yeah, I think um, maybe it's kind of go a step kind of down the line a little bit to think about evaluating your websites. So using something like Google Analytics or something like along those lines to see. But just tell us about, that sounds um, technical, uh, Google yeah. Analytics, what's that? It is pretty technical, but <laughs> if... Again, most modern websites will have it. It's a little, log, it's a login on a on a Google website, and it will tell you the numbers of people who are visiting your website on whichever days, and it kind of splits them into different audiences and stuff. Tells you who's visiting what different pages at, at whatever time. So if you've got your website all set up, and then you can look on um, Google Analytics or something along those lines to see what people are looking at, and if there's some pages that are that no one's looking at, then there's either two reasons. One is because it's not interesting or the other one is because no one can find it. Mm. So that, that's a really helpful way to try and think, okay, well, how, how is my website doing? How can I then improve it or make it more helpful to people? Have, haven't sense. you written an article about that as well? Yeah, I wrote an article just recently about um, what when you go into that kind of analytics, what do all the all the yep. words mean? Okay. Impressions. So if you views, went onto the FIC website, search for Google Analytics. It will definitely you, come you up at number one. That yeah, that's right. Great. And it's worth saying, isn't it, that um, people do find churches via the FIC website. Mm. So I think especially people who have belonged to the FIC or know about the FIC in another place, they move to a new area, they might go to the find a church Mm. facility on the FIC website. Mm. Joel, what would they, what do they come to? If they they go to the find a church section, which is at the top banner, you just click on it. What what do they come to? There's a little box. You can type in either a postcode or a city or a town. Um, you can choose a radius, five, ten miles, whatever, it, whatever you want it to be. Hit, hit search, and it'll bring you up a little map, and it'll, it'll plot the FIC affiliated churches on the map, and it'll give you a list of who they all are. And also, when you get to that landing page, you'll see a map of the whole of Britain with every FIC church on it. So you can sort of see where there's a yeah. huge population of FIC churches. So it's a church planting tool as well. Well, is that, that you could say you could say so? But you can you can scroll in on an area without doing a search, and also yeah. find churches mm. plotted there like that as well. Okay. And they should have the the times of their services as we mentioned before their location at the very very least mm. and um, s- some churches have, have added more information on there to, to be able to explain a little bit more so if you're, a, if you're a church leader listening you can mm. add information to the yes. FIC website on your church page can't you how, do. how would you do that Joel when you go onto that church to find a church it's a good idea to see what your church looks like if you're not quite sure on the FIC website there's a little button hit at the top to say does this belong to you you can click on that and you can either log in if you've already got login or you can request the login details okay. and then you fill in all your details you can upload a photo and then it all just gets moved across and looks nice on the FIC website so static information though because you don't mm. want to be updating that every week as sure, well absolutely. updating everything yeah, yeah. try not yeah. to put dates and, and like very yeah. specific stuff on explain who you are top level and there's a space where you can click visit website and and that's Correct. where the details that are that you want people to go on to. Okay. Um, just one last thing to finish. Um, how important is a good website address, Phil, would you say? I think it needs to be easy to spell and, and, and put in. So so I think, well, well, just to give it, just to give an example, um, when we did one of our Get to Know films a few years ago, you can find those on the website as well. We went to New Life Church in Middlesbrough and we spelt Middlesbrough wrong on the video because it, it's not got a second O in it, for example. So if you're asking people to spell long names of places that they... Is it they, not? No, exactly. Middlesbrough. 
Or is it, or either it does or it doesn't, and we it did does. it wrong. Edinburgh it, doesn't. Okay. It doesn't have any O's. Yeah, no, 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 no. Anyway, we spelt it wrong is the, is the headline. We spelt it wrong. But but I guess my point is, if you've got to put a, a place in Britain in the website name and the URL and people spell it wrong, that, that could be problematic. So you need to make sure that it, it's straightforward from that from that perspective. I'd like to mention three letters, S-E-O, which stands for Search Engine Optimization. I wonder if we get to this. Which still doesn't explain anything, but basically there's different websites will do better when you search something on Google. So you're right that as well as your website, people can find churches through uh, the FIC website, but there's other places as well, like Google, for example, has mm. listings for yep. Yep. all churches, whether you've set one up or not, they've got one there already. And when people search on their search bar, it will put websites in an order. And depending on how optimized they are, then that will depend on where you are at number one, two, three, four, and What five. does that mean briefly, optimised? <laughs> optimised is uh, making something specific for Google. So way, ways to do that would be to include the location. So for example, if someone is searching churches in Middlesbrough, if your website doesn't mention Middlesbrough or if the URL doesn't have Middlesbrough in it, then you may not okay. appear mm. higher up, mm. as high up as another website that does because mm. Google thinks, oh, Middlesbrough, that's even in the website yeah. name. It must be important. And, and also Google will correct your stupid spelling if it you're will. me. So therefore, that will also help you if you're searching via Google. So that would suggest that it's less important if you're Googling because Google will do some of the work for you. But actually, if you're taking a website name off, say, a podcast feed like this, and you've got to then spell it right and that kind of thing, that's Mm -hmm. where it it matters more, probably. Independence with an E at the end. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So just a takeaway from each of you. I mean, it, we've started to get into technical stuff. It can seem a little mm-hmm. overwhelming, but just come back to full circle to where we started. It doesn't need to be overwhelming, does it? It can be simple. It can be straightforward. It can be effective, can't it, Joel? Yeah, I'd say, again, think about someone who's visiting your website. Put yourself in shoes. It might even be worth uh, sending your website to a family member or someone who's completely not connected with the church whatsoever. Say, please, could you just have a look at this? Five minutes. Tell me if you found what, whether you found it good or engaging, that kind of stuff. And then that's that's the way to do it. And really, a, a, a website that performs well on Google is performs well because it's useful to the person who's clicking on the link. So if you've thought it through in that sense and given people all the things they need, then yeah. not only will it be helpful and it'll be a good website, but also it will do well on, on Google search results too. And Phil, you've been an elder in a local church. This isn't something for elders to worry about, right? It's just, um, you know, let the young guy get on with it. Uh, no, not necessarily. I think you need to have a, an eye over it because you want to make sure that it's saying the things that you wanted to say about the church Mm. i think sometimes as church leaders we can be tempted to delegate things that we either have no interest in or that we don't think is as important uh, down uh, and and actually so so i think once it's set up and you've got a pass over it absolutely it's a deacon's responsibility or somebody in the church's responsibility to maintain it but you need to know what's on there and what it's saying and you want to have some oversight of that i think as a church leader definitely great guys thank you very much it's been really helpful i'm looking forward now to all the emails of people who look at the fic website and send us in their critique um, <laughs> i'm sure that i'm sure there's much to critique um, <laughs> i mean in fairness we're always looking at our website Absolutely. aren't we and thinking how do we improve it mm. um it's a bit trickier when you've got um some of the content we've got on just how you rearrange it and stuff but but actually that asking that question does it, is it serving the purpose mm. that it's there for it's really important all the time yeah great thanks guys thanks phil thanks joel thanks Thanks. for joining us um my my name is adrian i've been adrian and this is independence the fiec podcast